Amen. Uh, Why don't we pray together? Uh, Lord God, as we now turn again to your word, we ask that you would be gracious to come to us in the power of the Spirit, that we might be taught by our Savior, and having been taught by him, that we might be encouraged and strengthened for everything that you have planned for us in the days ahead. We trust you and ask that you would do this, uh, for we are your servants, and we are here listening, waiting on you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Sam, did you get a chance to click the button? Good, thank you. So um, let's read together James chapter 5. We'll be doing verses 14 to 18. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, let's do that. James 5, 14 to 18. And then if you want to stick your finger in the very beginning of James, James chapter 1, after I read this, I'll flip you back over to James chapter 1, and I'll just read a couple verses there as well, okay? So, James 5, chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. This is God's word. Let's listen to it. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why don't you turn back, as I said earlier, to chapter 1, and let me read also just a couple of verses here. One, or sorry, verse 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, other translations say perfect and complete, not lacking anything. Do you know the band Radiohead? Give me an indication if you know who I'm talking about. Okay, about... Uh, 46% of you? Okay. Um, so if you, whether you know the name Radiohead or not, you probably have heard their most famous song on the radio uh, called Creep. And in this song, Tom York, he sings this. He sings, I don't care if it hurts. I want to have control. I want a perfect, do you remember? 
body. I want a perfect, rhymes with control. Soul, voila. I don't care if it hurts, I want to have control. I want a perfect body, I want a perfect soul. So let's say that Tom York is hiding in the balcony here tonight, and let's say he comes and hangs out with us after church, and he comes up and he says, hey, are you a Christian? You say, yes. He says, okay, so what about this line in, in my song? You know, like, is it, is it Christian to want a perfect body? How about a soul? Is a Christian allowed to want a perfect soul? What are you going to tell Tom York? You've only got one chance to tell the lead singer of Radiohead whether his song is legit or not from a Christian perspective. What are you going to say? Does God want you to be healthy or holy? Does he want your body to be healed or your soul to be healed? So let's say you have some Christian friends and you get together regularly. One of the things you do is you pray together. And you go around the table and everybody is supposed to say one thing that they would like everyone to pray for them about, right? You've just got one prayer request you can give. What's it going to be? Is it going to be that God would get rid of some sickness or some difficulty in your life that you're suffering? Or are you going to ask for prayer that God would get rid of some sin in which you are stuck? Body, soul. What's it going to be? You've just got one, one shot at this. Better pick right. Now, at that point, you might be thinking, whoa, wait a second. Um, I would never ask somebody, like, or even a, especially a group of people, to pray for me. Um, not for my healing, not for my holiness, telling people about that kind of stuff. That's just weird. And this is private stuff, and I'm just too private of a person, right? That might be true. You might be a private person, and that might be awkward for you, right? Tell somebody about what's going on in your soul. Tell somebody about some problem in your body or in your life. But actually, if you're hesitant to do that, to ask for prayer in these ways, there's probably something deeper going on in you than just, that's a little awkward, and this is a little private. Because here's what I think. I think if you're not ready to ask for help for these kinds of things, body and soul matters, one of two things is true, maybe both of them. Either you were afraid that God is not good enough to care about your health or your holiness, or you're afraid that you are not good enough for God to care about your health or your holiness, or maybe both. You want, with Tom York, you want a perfect body, and you want a perfect soul, but you know that, that those kinds of things are just not possible, and you're not going to ask for them, and you're definitely not going to invite people to ask for those things with you and for you. And yet, here comes James. Ahem, church. Are you in trouble? Are you sick? Have you sinned? Then do this, he says. Pray together, repent together, praise together. Pray together, repent together, praise together. Let's look at each of these three things here briefly. First thing he says is pray together. Verse 13, 
Are you in trouble? Pray. Verse 14, are you sick? Pray. But he doesn't stop there, does he? In both of these cases, James asks, is anyone among you in trouble or sick? You hear that? Among you? You're a troubled or a sick person among other Christians, sisters and brothers around you. And then in verse 16, James comes right out and says it, doesn't he? Pray for one another. So the call is not just to pray privately, but to pray together for one another. And so if you're going to take your relationship with Jesus seriously, then you're going to have to come up with some way, right, to say yes to this Bible command, right? You've got to pray if you're sick or if you're in trouble. So what's it going to be? A couple examples of how you could do this. One of our home groups, uh, they talked about it this morning. This is home group Sunday. Um, One of our home groups has kept for 10 years a prayer journal, and they meet just about every week, and they pray for each other around the table, and they write down the things that they prayed for, and then every couple months, they take an evening and they just go back through the prayer journal, and they catch up with people about how things are going in their life, right? How did the Lord answer this prayer, or has he answered this prayer yet? And what happens is, for this group, over years and years, of going back and reading these old prayers and celebrating what God has done to answer those prayers. They've prayed in faith. God answers. Now they're praying in even greater confidence the next time. Ten years of doing this, and they become, it's, it's hard not to become convinced that God is up to something in our lives, that he's got power and wisdom, and we should ask him for help. So, that's one idea. Do you need a home group? Do you need to jump in with the Nexus crowd, maybe? Do you need to find another home group that's represented, especially in our evening group? Find some other people with whom you can pray. Maybe, you, maybe it's serious business, and you can't wait till a home group, group starts, or until you find one that fits, or until you get invited to one and you just got stuff going on and you need to deal with it, well, James says you can do something here. He says, maybe you can find a few elders and pastor types and pull them together and say, hey, I'm going through this. I've got the sickness. Could you pray with me for my healing? Could you pray that maybe I could get through these circumstances? Tough stuff is happening to me. Or how about this? You have a need something that's bugging you, body or emotional or otherwise, and you find yourself around Christians. Maybe it's after church or before church or when you're out getting dinner or something. Why don't you just go up to one of these Christians, somebody that you kind of respect, and just pull them aside and say, hey, would you just pray for me about something? Pray with me about something real quick? Um, if someone asks you to pray for them, 
pray with them, for goodness sake. And by the way, instead of saying, oh, I will, I'd be glad to pray for you, and then like walking away and forgetting to pray for them and then feeling horrible about it, you see them the next time and you're like, oh, I told them that I would pray for them and I haven't said a word to the Lord about their problem. Instead of doing that, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, would you pray with me? Here's what's going on. Just pray for them like right where you're standing. I mean, that seems weird to some people. It seemed weird for, for me, to me, for a long time. But it's, it's not that weird. Just pray right after the service, during the fellowship time, when you're out to dinner, when you're on the way to dinner. Christians, pray for each other. This is just what we do. And if it's in church, after church, whatever, uh, and it's not like a super, super private matter, then grab somebody you trust and grab an elder or a pastor or a handful of other people standing around and just say, hey, I'd like to get five or six people to just pray for me, right? If you feel comfortable about it, ask them to put their hand on your shoulders. This is like, for some of us, this is like, duh. And for some of us, it's like, ooh, that's weird. I don't know where you're at on that continuum, um, but it's not weird. It's just what James tells us to do. In fact, um, Actually, I have a little stash of baby oil in the back in a nice, neat little Christian-y bottle. <laughs> and if you want to come up after the service and you just want me to pray for you, um, I'll put a little dab of oil on your head and then we can actually obey James literally. All this stuff feels weird. And look, if somebody comes to you and says, dude, you're so awkward, man. Why do you do all this weird stuff? And they're a Christian, you can say to them politely, <laughs> politely, you can say, look, I like my weird way of obeying James's command better than your way of not obeying James, James's command, okay? I'm just trying to be a Christian. Touche. The reason that this is something James tells us to do is that when we pray together, it actually feels different. And the experience for us is different. It's not a magical solution for like, oh, if I, the more people I get to touch me or the more oil I get dumped on my head, the more effective the prayer is. This isn't magic. This is something that God has said will allow us to help experience his presence. When brothers or sisters are around us bearing our burdens for us, it just feels more like the reality that God is actually there. And God is actually there. God's designed us that way. And that's why James says, pull some people together. But of course you're thinking of all these objections for why I shouldn't ask people for prayer. You think, look, I don't want to trouble people with my troubles. Then they have to carry my troubles. And that's kind of what you tell yourself. And so you say, I'm not going to bother people. But really, once again, deep down, what you're thinking is, I'm not a good enough person to expect these good things from the Lord. Am I the righteous person whose prayer of faith is powerful and effective? I don't feel like it. Or you're thinking, I just don't know if God is really good enough to care about this stuff or it's both. But still, there's the command. Pray when you're sick. 
or weak or in trouble and call on other people to pray with and for you. So you're called to pray together. Second thing James says here is that you're called to repent together. Pray together and repent together. Sam preached on this aspect of one anothering this morning. Uh, confess your sins to one another and forgive one another. And so I'm not going to say a lot about it here. I'd just rather you go and listen to the podcast of Sam's sermon. So instead, I'll just say simply this. If you look at James chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 here, he says that we shouldn't just go to one another for prayer for the needs of our sick bodies, but we should also be able to go to one another with our sick souls and spirits. If we have sinned, if we're stuck in a pattern of sin, if suddenly we realize that we're not just the kind of people who occasionally screw up and sin, but it all of a sudden overwhelms us that we are sinners. That's the time that we need to go to one another. Sam emphasized this morning that you can go to the people that you have wronged or to the people that have wronged you. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can just go to any one of us that you trust one of your elders, one of your friends, one of your pastors, and just say, man, I'm feeling the weight of my sin. You can't bear the weight of your own guilt and your own sin on your own. You can't even always make it to the foot of the cross where Jesus can take that weight from you by yourself. Sometimes you need people to walk with you to Jesus to help you get this weight off of your back and give it to the Lord Jesus, to help you honestly and with great hope say whatever it is that you need to say to Jesus when you suddenly realize that you're carrying this guilt of sin. Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, this is God's will for you, your sanctification fancy church word for being holy, being set apart exclusively for God's purposes. It's like Paul is answering that question, what, is, what does God want from me in my life? What is God's will for me? And he says, his will is that you be completely and exclusively set apart for his purposes. And what's cool about this is that his plan for you is the same as his plan for the entire creation as well. Sanctification, set-apartness, reservedness for God's purposes exclusively. And he has these great plans for the whole creation, but he's starting with each one of you. And even in the secrecy of your hearts. Isn't that amazing, by the way, that God who has plans for such stunning, stunningly comprehensive things for the entire creation would come on down and, and poke around in, in my heart a little bit <laughs> and, and cause it to be more reserved for him and him alone. And whenever you're convicted about some part of your heart, some part of your life that's not set apart completely for the Lord, then James is saying, here's what you can do. 
Here's what you really need to do. You need to pull together some Christians and ask them to walk with you as you repent. Repentance, another churchy word, but it simply means when you realize that God is right and God is holy and that you've been wrong and not holy. And repentance is when you decide to give some area of your life to Jesus in order to answer that call that every part of your life would be completely reserved for his purposes. Get the help of people around you who are following Jesus. Find somebody who is in the habit of repentance themselves, who knows what it's like to say, man, I'm a mess and I need Jesus' forgiveness and renewal. Because if they've been through it, they can walk with you through it. You can't bear the guilt, and you don't even have the skill or the willpower or the steadfastness to repent all by yourself, all alone. So James says, repent with one another. Some of you are like, I feel the same way about this as I did about the other part. You're thinking to yourself, I got stuff. I'm I'm too guilty. I'm too messed up. I'm too caught in this sin. There's too much of me or too deep a part of me that is not reserved exclusively for God's purposes. And there's no way that he has the patience to endure all of my pathetic attempts to set my life apart for him again and again and again. And so, so you don't even trust Jesus with your guilt. You're certainly not going to trust one another to help you walk in repentance. And yet there's the call. Pray together. Confess your sins to one another. Third thing, praise together. Verse 13, is anyone among you happy? Another translation says cheerful. The King James Version says merry, M-E-R-R-Y. Is anyone merry? Then praise God together, James says. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, you've just told us these two commands of James, you're unhealthy, pray for health. You're having hard times, pray with one another about those hard times. You're caught in sin or you need to repent of something, so pray in repentance for holiness and do it with one another. And then you keep telling us, Andy, that we're often, maybe even usually, too ashamed to do it, too suspicious maybe, that God wouldn't even want to hear us and answer us if we did pray, either alone or together. And now on top of all this, James and you are telling me that I'm supposed to feel happy and that when this happiness strikes me, that I'm supposed to erupt into songs of praises to God. When does that ever happen? And 
how is this going to happen, especially in the midst of all of this struggle with sin and with sickness? Doesn't this all seem out of context? When does this ever happen? Struggling with sin, struggling with sickness. And you stop and you erupt into praise at a moment of great joy and happiness. When does that happen? Actually, that's one of the coolest things about my work. I get to see this happen all the time, in fact. People come, they make an appointment with me, they come into the office, or they just drop by, and they speak with me. And they're frustrated. Frustrated about the way that their illness is impacting their work and stealing their sleep keeping them, they feel, from serving God, even in the way that they want to. Why do I have to keep suffering? They're asking. Or they're frustrated with the way that their sin has just kept on wrecking their life, or one part of it or another. And as their story comes out, oftentimes the tears come out too. They're usually their tears. Sometimes they're my tears as well. And then often there's this moment. Either they remind themselves or I remind them of something that's much bigger than their hurting health or their heavy heart. They remember the Lord Jesus. They remember his ministry. And they remember that the reality is that he didn't heal everyone that was sick in Palestine 2,000 years ago. Not even everybody that he was around. But that he healed many people and even raised some of them from the dead. And then they remember what they were taught in Sunday school, thank God, one time. They remember that Jesus, by healing these people's bodies, was giving them and giving us a preview of what he will one day do for all of our bodies. And then they remember that Jesus also didn't go around randomly telling people that their sins were forgiven. But that he did oftentimes look at people in the eye and say, brother, sister, your sins are forgiven. And people that you wouldn't expect, right? People looked at him like, what are you talking about, man? (laughs) But to the people that he said that to, it was the best thing that they could ever hear. Almost too good to be true. And so as these folks are, are sharing their sorrows with me, either their health, or their circumstances, or the weight of their sin. So many times they remember that by forgiving these people, by healing these people, Jesus was showing what he will do for everyone who comes to God through him in simple faith and great neediness. And so in between tears, these simple Christian believers they'll catch this glimpse of the fact that, as I read in James chapter 1, their trials are producing in them steadfastness. 
And they realize that if they can make it through this struggle with their health by God's grace, or if they can make it through this struggle against the sin that keeps entangling them by the grace of Jesus, then they realize, I can make it through anything by the grace of Jesus. They realize their steadfastness, as James says in chapter one, will have its full effect. They will one day, sooner or later, be perfectly complete and lacking in nothing. And James means that we can have happiness and joy while our health is bad. And while our heads and hearts and hands are slowly and painfully becoming more and more holy. And this happiness comes in these moments when we know that we've been given every grace that we need to persevere while it's hard. And that we will be given every grace we need to finally make us perfect and complete one day and then forevermore. And you know what? Um, Those times in my study when I'm having these conversations with a struggling Christian just like you. Yes, I'm pastoring them, right? I'm a professional or whatever. But usually, usually I'm just doing a couple of simple things. And these are things which any of you can do and really any of you should do. Here's what I do. I listen a lot. And then when there's an opportunity, if they haven't already reminded themselves, I simply remind them of the one who is bigger than their sorrows and their struggles and the determination of God to make all things new, perfect and complete in Christ everywhere in the entire creation and therefore also in our struggling lives. So I listen, I remind them, and then once we've reminded ourselves of these things, guess what we do together? We pray. We pray for relief from their hurts. We pray for real repentance and growth in grace for both of us. And together, we praise God for being the one who is greater than our health and greater than our hearts we praise him for the promise that will one day be made perfect and complete. Tom York sings, I don't care if it hurts. I want to have control. I want a perfect body. I want a perfect soul. Uh, actually, the truest cry of the human heart is pretty similar to that, right? With one essential difference. And this is a difference that really makes a difference. The true Christian heart says, I don't care if it hurts. Someone is in control. I want a perfect body. I want a perfect soul. And to pray for one another the way James is calling us to means that I come to you and I say, sister, brother, 
I accept the fact that this hurts now. And I accept the fact that it might keep hurting for my whole life. But I do not accept the fact that it must be this way right now. And I believe with all of my heart and soul that it will not be this way forever. And so will you, sister, will you, brother, will you, church, come alongside me and help me give control of my health and of my holiness to Jesus, who is already Lord of all things, and therefore Lord of my health and my path to holiness. Brother, sister, will you ask with me and for me that Jesus would show himself to be all in all right here in the middle of my difficult life with my not yet perfect body, with my not yet perfect soul? And will you also sing with me when I remember that in him my body and soul, along with the church and along with all of creation, will one day be made perfect and complete? And will you weep and pray and hope with me when I believe this, and especially when I have a hard time believing this? You can't bear the weight of the brokenness of the world. You can't even bear the weight of the brokenness of your own body and your own soul by yourself. So James says, call upon one another, pray for one another, repent with one another. And when you catch that glimpse of all that Jesus is doing, has done, will do, then praise him together. And then in between tears, in between sighs and groans, in between prayers offered in faith, in between anointings by the elders with oil or whatever it is, don't forget to step back and catch a glimpse of Jesus up to the work of redemption that he is up to. Don't forget to see Jesus, the one who asked his friends to pray with him and for him in the Garden of Gethsemane only to watch his lame friends fall asleep. Don't forget to catch a glimpse of Jesus who prayed that he might be delivered from his suffering but went on to face his suffering all the way to the end anyway. Don't forget to look at Jesus who prayed even while he was dying with the weight of your sin and my sin on him. The one who prayed, Father, forgive them. And the one who at the very end of our Bibles says, behold, I'm making all things new. And if you can keep your eye on Jesus when you struggle with sin and sickness, then you're going to grow in steadfastness, even if your struggle continues. And the more confident that you become that God is good enough and that he has, by pure grace alone, made you good enough in Christ, the more joy that you will have in sharing your sorrows and your joys with one another in prayer and in praise. And then we will become a real church. And it will be hard, and there will be tears, and it will be awesome. (laughs) 
and it will be glorious. And we will laugh and we will cry. <laughs> and we will see the Lord at work in each other's lives. Heavenly Father, this is heavy stuff because our souls are full of heavy stuff and our bodies carry deep burdens. We pray that you would prove your son to be the one who uh, has a yoke that's easy and a burden that is light. Help us to carry one another's burdens and to bring them to Jesus. Give us great patience with one another. Give us great assurance of your love. Give us great courage to ask for help in prayer and support from one another. And make us into the people that you've called us to be as we obey your word and as we cling to Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray in his name. Amen.